Hiya folks, welcome to the Keep Singing Podcast Postmortem Edition. Yes, this is the first recap of Season 9. I'm excited to get back into this. By the way, uh, quick, well, first of all, if you're listening to this for the first time, hi, my name is Sunny and I'm your host. Uh, Just in case you stumbled onto this, welcome. Uh, This is sort of a weird, fractured, sometimes ship-focused, sometimes not podcast, but among other things, what I do is recap, so that's what I'm doing this time. Just a quick aside, I do swear to God intend to pick the rambling dead back up. It, It... I mean, look, here's here's the thing. I'm trying to defend my doctoral dissertation at the very beginning of November. So between now and then, my life is going to be a little bit hell. But after that, uh, things should ease up a bit. Now, I've said that before, and that hasn't ended up happening. But uh, trust that that will be the case. So, But in the meantime, I do intend to continue doing these just because it's fun and people seem to enjoy them. Before I get into the episode, let me do my quick Patreon spiel. If you are enjoying this podcast, if you want to help me keep doing it, you can go to patreon.com slash dynamic symmetry. You can look at some of the rewards I've got. You can give me a couple bucks a month. Uh, My friend Alexandra recently did a quick thread about how $1 donations, $1 uh, Patreon supporters, that actually like isn't a small amount. One dollars add up. They really do. There are people on Patreon who like support themselves on dollar on, on dollar supporters. So like, don't feel like it's too small if you want to give me something. Just because some people do feel that way. So yeah, really helps me justify the amount of time I put into this. Helps me justify the amount of time I put into other things. There are freebies that well, not freebies, but there you know there are rewards that you'll get. So yeah, it's super helpful. And and those of you who have been doing that, thank you so much for your support. Again, super helpful. And um, yes, I appreciate it immensely. So without further ado, let's get into it. Okay, well, let me start by saying, let me go back a good way and and start by saying that I was really unhappy with the end of last season. Like, I just thought it was dumb. I I thought it was really dumb. I thought it was poorly justified. I I thought Rick sparing Negan was really poorly justified by, I mean, I could see what they were doing. It's not that I don't understand how they were were doing it. I just don't think it worked very well. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, if I could, if I was writing the show, or if I had a chance to rewrite the show, what have, would have happened is that Rick would have tried to save Negan, and then Daryl would have charged past him and killed Negan anyway, and then that would have been the setup for season nine, is the conflict between two, the two of them, and I think that that would have been fucking great, and much, much more in character with, with Daryl, because, because of what Negan did to him, and because of what Negan did to, to Glenn, and because of what Negan did to Maggie, and yeah, I... I don't know. I just didn't think that it was realistic for him to just stand there. After all of the killing that he did in, in season eight, it's just, yeah. So that, that was, I was not happy with the end of season eight. Also, Rick's speech was really badly done. Just throwing that in there. One of the things that I was sort of looking forward to in season nine was what the, the tension that they set up between the hilltop, you know, Jesus and, and Maggie and Daryl, and Rick and his people. And I was really hoping that they would carry that through and they kind of have. And it also seems like they kind of haven't capitalized on it the way they should. And I will be getting into that. But look, overall, I I liked this episode. Overall, I like what it seems like they're setting up. I don't love it. Uh, it just kind of looking very briefly at the critical reaction to it. It seems like a lot of people are really psyched about this season. They really like kind of the sense of a reset. Uh, I mean, I like that something new is going on. I like that we're out of the all-out war plot, which overall I thought was really kind of sloggy and not great. Although there were some individual episodes that I thought were extremely good and some character arcs that I loved. But it... Yeah, I don't know about this. I'm, if I'm optimistic, it's a cautious optimism. And I'll, again, I'll, I'll get into some of what I really did not like. And, and there are, in my opinion, there are significant problems here. And they are unfixable. Because, I mean, they would have been fixable if they had done different things at the outset, but they do not appear to have done those things. And it is now kind of too late to do them. So the problems are now unfixable. And I think what I am hoping is just that they don't end up being too damaging. 
there are some things I think I'm going to have to overlook if I'm going to enjoy this season, and I don't like being in that position. But we'll get to we'll get to that at the end. I'm saving the negativity for the end. Those of you who are feeling it, you'll just have to be patient. I think some of you probably agree with me. So, but overall, I liked it. I like the fresh feel. I like the the sense that it's it's not a different show, but it's very much a different stage in the show's story. I like I like the stability. I think I, in a lot of respects, I prefer kind of coming at the rest of the story from a place of relative stability, although obviously that's not going to last. Uh, I, I like that now, well, I do and don't like that people are split up into different communities. Um, Daryl's, just to jump ahead a little bit, Daryl's speech to Rick about how he missed early on when it was just this one small group that they could, they were flexible and they could do anything and they were really tight knit and how he missed that cohesion. I'm a thousand percent with Daryl there. And I, I can't decide whether or not that was self-aware on the part of the writers, whether the writers wrote those lines, knowing that a number of people, a number of viewers, both critically and just in the fandom, had were starting to have the same problem, that they were starting to feel like it was too sprawly, there was too much going on, there were too many new characters. And I mean, I think on the one hand, maybe that line was, was written with some self-awareness because these are not stupid people, and I do think that they pay some attention to stuff that the critics are saying. And I disagree with a lot of critics regarding this show, but I don't always disagree with them, and I think they had this right. But on the other hand, they don't seem to be really changing those problems so far, so I don't know. Maybe it wasn't self-aware. I don't know. I mean, we'll just have to see how the rest of the season unfolds and uh, how the next few episodes go, because they've been suggesting that this will feel more like season four, and season four was, I think, the best season in the show's run. And if they return to that feeling that'll be good, but we'll just have to see how that happens. Again, if I'm optimistic, it's very cautious optimism. I foresee issues here. But yeah, there, there, are, there are things about the arrangement of stuff that I really like. Um, not so crazy about the number of characters we've got on screen. I still think that's an issue, but apparently some of them are going to be dying. Uh, you know, don't want to do spoiling dead fan spoilers, but obviously we're going to lose people. We're going to, we're going to lose Rick. We're going to lose Maggie to some degree, although it does seem like she's not going to die. Uh, her, her exit will be left really open-ended and it seems like they want to have her come back for season 10. So we'll just see how that ends up working, but we're losing Rick. We're losing a few other people. And yeah, it, eh, we'll just see what happens. The, the, I think the cast size is going to continue to be an issue and there's just not really a whole lot that we can do about that. I think that's just the show. It's just kind of baked into the cake at this point, and you either can deal with that or you can't, but it's it's just there, and I don't really foresee it changing. So yeah, not crazy about that, but that's just kind of how it is. I love the intro credits. Like, I, nothing in this episode wowed me. Nothing in this episode made me go, holy shit, that's great, except the intro credits. I, I'm... I, I, I don't know, like, I'm, I'm kind of a nerd for strong opening credits. Uh, one of my favorite things about the terror, I liked a lot of stuff in the terror, but one of my favorite things about the terror was the intro credits, which I just thought were fucking amazing. And I love how they have taken a completely different visual approach in the opening credits here. And, you know, rather than it being kind of the sort of Nine Inch Nails type imagery and kind of editing and cuts that they have been having up until now, they've gone like total animation and it's this really flowing, almost like single shot uh, deal. And there are, and I don't think you notice this if you watch it at full speed, you have to kind of go frame by frame, but there are so many little references to the history of the show. Uh, there's, there's so much stuff in there that you really have to look for if, if you want to get a sense of how this show is referring back to its own history. And I think that's really cool because this the reset and the, the time jump is so much of kind of a break from the past and setting up a really, like I said, setting up a new stage in this show's run. But it's, the way the opening credits are put together, it, I think that they are signaling uh, that they have not forgotten the past and that in fact there's going to be a lot of references to the past and that the, what, what is going to proceed is going to be deeply connected to everything that's gone before. And I hope that's the case because, 
Well, a number of reasons uh, that I may or may not get into before this episode is done, but it's, I think it's good. And I, and I really hope they follow through on that. But just like visually, I, it was a feast. Like it was my favorite part by far of the entire episode. And I'm very excited about it. I can't decide if that's a good thing for the episode or not, that the opening credits was my favorite part. But I mean, that was basically my favorite part. So there's that. Moving on on my list of things to get to. Uh, it's Those of you who know me know that I live in the DC metro area. I live about 20, 20, 30 minutes outside of DC, a little bit to the north and the east. Not quite between DC and Baltimore, but I'm closer to DC than Baltimore, but I'm, yeah. Uh, and I get into DC a good bit. And I, at this point, like for protests and shit, that's most of the reason I go into the city now. And like DC partly because of how it was built and the, how it was designed. Cause you know, if you know something about DC, you know that the context of its design was really specific and it was built to be a very specific kind of city. It was not built to be like Baltimore. It was not built to be like New York or Philadelphia, whether or not you like DC's character. And I am not crazy about it for a lot of reasons. Uh, most of them gut level and kind of impossible to explain rationally. It, but DC has a particular feel. It has a really specific character. The architecture in DC is unlike, I mean, it's unlike architecture anywhere else in the country, really. It, it, the way it is, it is, it is really sprawling while not being a sprawl city in the way that Houston or Dallas or, you know, any other big cities in America really is. It, it has, I mean, like every, like every big city in America, it has its own character and you know it instantly if you spend any time in it and no other city really replicates it. And they did their best with downtown Atlanta. They really tried. They couldn't come to DC to film. It's not that I'm faulting them for this. And this is just me being a prissy bitch, like I said. But as I was watching, you know, the trip into DC, it was really gnawing at me in such a petty way how not DC it was. Like it just did, among other things, again, it didn't feel spread out in the way it should. And, 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 None of the places they were in looked like any places in DC. Like they kind of tried to make the Capitol building look like some building in the Smithsonian, but it was really clearly not the Smithsonian anywhere. And it's, again, it's minor, but watching it, I was just like, this isn't working for me. I'm just not buying it. I can't buy it. It would be like if they tried to film in Philadelphia and they tried to make downtown Atlanta be Philadelphia. And I would just, cause that's where I'm from. I would just be like, this is, sorry good good try you guys but yeah it's it's kind of just quick aside back when i was really watching a lot of um shows from sort of the x-files era and especially shows from fox and chris carter you know they film in vancouver and the pacific northwest's forests have very much their own character also they're deciduous rainforests and they have the you know these giant ferns that are basically living fossils that have like not changed for millions of years ago and they're huge and you know they have the douglas firs and they're massive trees and they just go on go up and up forever and the vegetation is very lush and there's moss everywhere beautiful forests i fucking love the pacific northwest and they try to pass off the pacific northwest as the mid-atlantic region or like kind of like the northeast of the united states and it's like no, these woods look completely different. They look completely different and I cannot even for a second buy this. If you're me and you're petty, you notice these things and they bother you. So this is, this is long story short, this is not DC. And they, they really tried with the Capitol building, but I mean, here's the other thing. Uh, I hope we go back to DC, as I will say in a minute, because I just, cities are just more interesting. Urban settings in this kind of universe are just more interesting in a lot of ways. And I'm really getting tired of the countryside. Like it's, and it looks like we're just back there again and we're gonna stay there. And I'm just really, really getting sick of it. And again, it's baked in. I don't think it's gonna change and either I can deal with it or I can't. But I, I really enjoyed the change of scene and they have been making the Capitol building so big in the promo. And if we only see it like this once, and only very much in the distance because, you know, they had to CGI it and it looks kind of shit. Like it just doesn't look real. And so, so that, you know, they couldn't do any like real close up shots of it because it just wouldn't work, but it's in the promo. It's like DC is going to be important. I think just because like it's a change. And if this is the only episode where we see Washington DC after having it feature so prominently in the promotion, 
I will be annoyed. Like, I will completely understand it because this is how promotion works and this is how AMC in particular rolls, but like, I will be irritated by this. So yeah, I, I, regardless of whether or not this was Washington DC, I really liked the change of setting and I didn't really expect it to last and it didn't. Like, there's this arrogant, I'm sorry, I'm doing so much, so many like digressions here, but like there's this, there's this kind of they, vaguely they might be giants type band called the Arrogant, Wor Arrogant Worms from Canada. And they have this, uh, I forget, <laughs> I don't know if it's actually called Rocks and Trees, but it's, it, it, it's a, God, is it about Alberta? I think it might be Alberta. And because I think they might be from Alberta. And the the core, you know, they're talking about all the stuff that different parts of Canada have, you know, all the different landmarks and, and you know, beautiful things. And Toronto is this big urban, you know, this big kind of metropolitan center. And and then the chorus is like, we got rocks and trees and trees and rocks and 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 water. And every now and then I'll throw that onto like a Tumblr post because that is this show for me. That it's trees and rocks and water. That's it. And um, the, the repetition of that chorus is really resonates with me because I'm just getting super tired of it, you guys. But yeah, so DC, cool. It kind of, the, the, the glass floor, I mean, I just, I mean, again, just a quick aside, I can't decide whether or not I like when they do a really obvious setup and then they do a really obvious thing with it. It's it's just like it's not unexpected, so it wasn't particularly exciting. Like there was no tension for me in, in the episode. It just didn't really there was a lot of stuff I just didn't really care about. And that was another thing where it was a cool set piece, but I just didn't really I didn't care. But what was cool about it is that we got a moment of danger for Ezekiel and then that meant that we got the kiss and I was just so happy about it. Uh, if you know me again you know that I absolutely love Ezekiel. I think he's one of the best characters on the show right now. If they do anything to him I'll be very very upset. If he his head actually ends up on one of the one of the Whisperer's pikes I will be extremely extremely upset. Partly because can we please give Carol a break? Can we just let her be happy? And she is happy and I'm so happy for her. It's so great. Like Daryl says, like if anybody on the show deserves to be happy, fucking finally. And you know, have somebody who really values her and loves her for who she is and I mean, kind of worships the ground she walks on. And, but isn't like aggressive about it. Like isn't like demanding that she do something. He's just like, hi, I'm here. I'm never going away. You're the absolute best. And I'll be waiting until the end of time with this ring in case you want to marry me. I just absolutely loved it. Very, very happy. And it was so sweet. She cares about him so much, but she's af so afraid to let herself care. Like, they're together, obviously. They were signaling that really hard with her conversation with Daryl. You know, well, this wasn't like a spur of the moment, oh no, I'm suddenly kissing you. They've clearly been together for kind of a, a while at this point. But she's just, she's so, you know, her associations with, with marriage and with that kind of formal connection, I think, are so negative. I mean, this is, this is something that the Carol with a, a Y people, in the conversation with her and Daryl, which I absolutely loved, by the way, and I'll, I'll talk about that again in a minute, um, they, they were kind of seizing on, and, they were, and, and her initial rejection of Ezekiel's marriage proposal, and then her discussing it with Daryl later, they were seizing on that, of course, as like her being reluctant because she's really secretly in love with Daryl. And I think that that's... I mean, as usual, I think that's, he can interpret it like that if you want, but that's such a bad misreading of her character and of what's going on here. Because what's going on here is that she's afraid to make this final connection. You know, it's not that she thinks she's going to be abused by Ezekiel. He's clearly not going to abuse her, but she's just like, part of her is still not fully healed and part of her is reluctant. And, you know, obviously she's going to get there. They're setting that up pretty strongly, but... I think it's just, it's so interesting that she's there with him, but she's not quite there yet. And also it's really, really cute that she's like brushing him off a bit. And and she's like, I really want to say yes. But at the same time, oh God, I just, I can't. Like, I'm just not ready. And also I just kind of want to make you wait. And you know, this is great. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Okay, actually, um, no, let me, let me roll back uh, before I uh, proceed from when they actually get out of DC. And I should say, by the way, I'm sure that there's stuff that I wanted to talk about that I'm missing here. So uh, get at me on Tumblr in my ask box and let me know what I think about things that I didn't talk about if you wanna know what I think about stuff. But Daryl's conversation with Cindy. 
Emma is so sweet. Um, I'm something that we didn't get enough of. We didn't get enough of of like quieter character moments in the last couple of seasons in general, partly because just so much was going on with so many different characters. But I have really been hurting for some Daryl character development. And and I'm not the only one. Like, a lot of people seem to be feeling like he's stagnant. And I, I agree. Like, he's just... He hasn't really gone anywhere. Partly that's because the last couple of seasons have been taking place over the span of, like, a few days. Like, that's not a lot of time for a person's character to go anywhere. Like, my character does not undergo drastic changes in a couple of days, even if some pretty intense things are happening. I'm still basically me. But one of the things that... One of the things I, I will say this time jump has allowed for is a potential for a bit of a change in his character. And... I don't know. I, I like that in that scene we saw a little bit more of a thoughtful side of him and a little bit more of him making a connection to somebody we haven't seen him make a connection to before. And one of the things about Daryl that we know is that he really connects to younger people, to, to small children, but also just to younger people in general. Uh, he, in, in many respects, I think he finds them easier to talk to and connect to than adults. And Cindy's not like a kid, but she's a younger person. And this was just such a, such a great scene because, I mean, they were both remembering loss of family, and that's something that he still feels very keenly. Like, he referenced his brother in the last season. His... I like that they've done that. His Merle is still very much with him. And I think that that's cool and I think that that's good. And I, I, I like that, you know, that, that kind of got brought up again, even if it was only in passing. Now, a lot of, a lot of people who put Beth with him seem to think that when he said, you know, like, yeah, he thinks, you know, he has moments where he thinks of the people he's lost, um, that he was thinking about her. I think he absolutely was. Uh, I, I think that of course he was because she's one of the she's one of the people most important to him that he's lost. Losing her crushed him in a way that really losing nobody else has except maybe Glenn. I think losing Glenn arguably crushed him that much, although maybe not quite in the same way. And I, I think he was absolutely thinking about her. However, I do not think he was thinking primarily about her, and I don't think that the writers intended us to think that. I think he was thinking about a lot of people. I think he was thinking about her. I think he was thinking in a huge way about Glenn because the loss of Glenn has got to still be haunting him. And Glenn was like his oldest friend in the whole group. So when he said that there were a lot of people that he wanted, who wanted to be there with him, who didn't make it, he was thinking about all of them, you know? I, and and I, I really want to say that because, I mean, I ship him with Beth, but I also do not want to overstate Beth's importance. I don't want to understate it clearly, and a lot of people do, but I also don't want to overstate it. He was absolutely thinking about her in that moment, I think. But the writers didn't make, did not intend us to be like, hey, Beth, you know, here's Beth again. It, it was everybody. You know, it really was everybody. And Glenn, I think, especially. Yeah, he, he, he clearly has a connection to the hilltop and to Maggie and the baby, and I'm, uh, again, quick aside, I'm kind of, I'll get, I'll get to this in a minute, but I'm kind of annoyed that we didn't get to see more of that. That, like, his primary interaction with Maggie and the... And he didn't even really interact with Herschel, and his primary interaction with Maggie was performing an execution for her. I was like, that's not the most healthy relationship, actually. They're all, like, kind of doing a Rick thing again. Yeah, that's that's great. But, yeah, it's... That was a good scene. Uh, it wasn't long enough, and it didn't go deep enough, but I'm glad that they actually took the time to do that. There were, there were a number of little moments of connection in the museum that I thought were good. They kind of took that time, kind of a little bit of downtime, to give you a sense of the dynamic between these characters and kind of where they are at with each other and where they're at with themselves and the stuff they're thinking about. The thing about the election at Hilltop, God, I mean, it's... They don't write this show to be overtly political, I think, but especially with the political climate in um, America right now and the approaching midterms, just just the mention of election is is loaded. And the fact that the loser did not accept the results is equally loaded. Um, I don't really have a whole lot deep to say about that. I'll just say that I noticed it. And I think it's it's interesting that that is something that they are starting to, is another thing from the old world that they're kind of starting to recreate or at least to do some experiments in recreating. So yeah, that was interesting. Uh, the Daryl and Carol scene, I just loved it. It was so sweet, it was so good. Again, I'm irritated by the way that 
that the people who ship Carol and Daryl seem to be reading it. Um, I'm especially irritated by the fact that a lot of them, well, not a lot, a number of them seem to be kind of lusting for Ezekiel's death, which is gross and also a little bit racist, kind of. But it was just, it was such a great friendship moment between them, you know, that really showed that although they might, may not be living in the same place anymore, they've still got a connection and they still have a real sense of intimacy, which they've kind of lost in the past couple seasons in some respects. But yeah, and, and I mean, I think that that scene was kind of the writers clarifying once and for all that, and, and of course a lot of people will not accept this, and, and looking at that scene through go- shipper goggles, like, I see it. I see why they won't. And I see why they actually might take it as more evidence that they're setting that this ship is endgame. This ship is endgame. But, like, I think this was the writers saying explicitly, this is the relationship between these two people, and it is platonic. Like, this is, this is our moment of clarification. This relationship is platonic. If it was going to go romantic, it would have done that by now. And, and it's, it's not. And, sorry, guys. This ship is not sailing. But it was just... If you value their relationship, and I do, it was so sweet. And it was... It was great because, I mean, okay, one of the things that a lot of Carol people seem to be latching onto is how both of these characters still seem like they're not entirely comfortable in their places. Like, Daryl is, well, Carol is still clearly, like, she's got her place at the kingdom, she's got her place with Ezekiel, she's happy, but she's still not entirely comfortable. And she's still not 100% sure how she feels about where she fits. And, and she feels like an outsider a bit still. And because of that, she still gravitates toward Daryl, who clearly still feels that way too. And I think that, you know, they were, some of them were kind of seeing maybe a little bit of regret in the way Daryl was saying, I'm happy for you. Like a little bit of how maybe he wasn't, he was happy for her, but part of him wasn't really happy. And I'll tell you, I think that that was there, but I think that why it was there was Daryl seeing, you know, here's another person who's paired off, who has a place, and he still doesn't really. You know, he's, it seems like he's been at Sanctuary for a while, but we don't, we don't really get a sense that he's connecting with anybody there. He, he shows up and, like, he still... He doesn't seem like he feels comfortable and he doesn't want to stay there. He wants to go back to Hilltop and see Maggie and the baby, which I love. And, yeah, it's it's just... Daryl Daryl is still... Daryl still does not have a place. And I think that if he was feeling anything negative, that was why he was feeling it. It was like, you know, this person, this person is my friend. We don't entirely fit and I'm connecting with them on that level, but also... They, they have a place. They're making a place. Meanwhile, I'm stuck at Sanctuary with these people I don't really like, you know, a whole lot. And I think that this is all just a big fucking mistake and Sanctuary shouldn't even really be here. And this isn't working. And Rick refuses to accept that it's not working, which I, I will, another thing I will get to in a minute. And I think that that's... I like that they are explicitly recognizing that. Or at least really strongly, implicitly recognizing that in Daryl, because I hope that that means that they are going to explore it more. The the fact that Daryl still does not have a place when everybody else does, and that in fact he, because he is no longer you know at Rick's side, and he, because he's not at Maggie's side, which is where I think he really wants to be, he just yeah he's he's unmoored in a way really nobody else in the group is. And once Rick is gone, it will be very interesting to see how he adjusts his place in the group without that primary thing against which and by which he's been orienting himself since really the beginning. Because, you know, Rick's kind of been... Rick is... He is where Rick is, and he does what Rick wants. And he is still kind of doing that. He is at Sanctuary because that's where Rick wants him to be. But he's not comfortable with that. He doesn't like that he's being consistently left behind and left out of, you know, Rick's life, which he kind of is now. And I want to see them explore that more because it's not necessarily like, yay, Daryl's getting better, but it's at least exploring some of the ways in which he's not okay in a way that's interesting. So yeah, I, I hope they do that further. I loved his conversation with Rick. And okay, I want to talk about how Rick is a shitty leader. And I think that 
God, how do I want to set this up? Do, do I want to talk about the time jump or do I want to talk about Rick? Okay, I'll, t I'll talk very briefly about Rick and Daryl. Like, I think that this, this crystallizes so clearly after Daryl gets away from Sanctuary and, you know, has that beautiful reunion with Rick at the hilltop. And they have that amazing hug and just that moment. And it's so beautiful and so great. And I love them together and I love their connection so much. And yeah, I still kind of ship it a, a lot. But then like a day later, Rick is saying, stay at the kingdom. We'll see you when we see you. And like the doors, the doors, the gates of the kingdom close and Daryl's just standing there like, the fuck, man? Like, we just got back together again. We just said hi and you're leaving me behind again? And it seems like Rick is just doing that with him over and over and over again. And more than before. Like, it, ever since the prison fell, it really seems like Daryl is, Daryl and Rick are not at odds, but Rick just keeps, Rick just keeps abandoning him in favor of other things. And I hope that the writers know that. And I hope that the writers are going to address that. Rick is a shitty friend. Rick is shitty at most things. I love Rick. I love Rick so much, but Rick is just, Rick's a bad leader. Rick's a bad friend. Rick is probably not a partner in a way that he should be, although he's clearly trying and Michonne loves him and they're like good together. He was not a good husband to Lori. Um, I think that if he's managed with Michonne, it's because Michonne is an absolute force of nature and she's not letting him be shitty. Not that Lori was weak, but you know, Michonne is, Michonne is strong in ways that Lori never was. And, also, they haven't been strained in a way that they used to be. But I, I just... Rick is just shitty. Rick is just a shitty person. He's And he's especially a shitty leader. And, and in a way that, again, I, I will, I will delve into more in a few minutes. But he's being especially shitty to Daryl. And it breaks my... I like it, actually, because I like tension between them. But it, it also kind of kind of breaks my heart a bit. And I just hope that they do something with it rather than having it just be kind of there. Okay, let me let me talk about the time jump. First of all, like I said, one of the things that they set up at the end of last season that I was actually looking forward to was friction between the hilltop and the safe zone. And specifically friction between Daryl and Maggie and Jesus and Rick and Michonne and all the rest of his people. Like, a lot of people didn't like that because they want everybody to be happy and be friends, but I love conflict and I really love angst and I love when people who love each other are at odds because I think that that's interesting. So I was actually looking forward to that. The problem is, with such a lengthy time jump, we've, we've, we've kind of lost that momentum. Like, we don't really have it anymore. We do, kind of. I mean, it seems like it's still there and it seems like they're going to address it. it. It seems like it is setting up, you know, something regarding the plot of at least the next half of the season, at least up until Rick, you know, Rick leaves and whatever happens next happens. But it's, they've lost, they've lost the momentum. They've lost the way that was, that was really strongly setting something up that had a a sense of moving forward into the next season. The, the time jump kind of erased that because you get the sense that it's just been stagnant. You get the sense it's just been kind of in the background for a year and nobody's done anything with it. And this is, this is a problem because you could explain why nothing much has happened with it. You could explain why a lot of things haven't changed and why other things have. But in such a big time jump, you basically have two things that you can do. You can either info dump, which they haven't done and which is hard to do when you're not either, either doing a dumb, a dumb voiceover or writing it out. It, you know, if it's, if it's a TV show or a movie, it is, it is a lot harder to cover what happened in a significant time jump. And they're not doing flashbacks really yet, if, if they're going to do them at all. So there is just a big black box of a year where we don't really know what happened. We know that they did a lot of rebuilding and we know that the communities all have different kind of relationships with each other and people are all split up. But a lot of really important stuff happened in that time period. I mean, Maggie had a baby for fuck's sake and we didn't get to see any of that. And I think that that's a big problem. 
that 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 means that there is a lot of stuff going on right now for which we have no background and no foundation and we just kind of have to fill in the blanks for ourselves and that's a big fucking blank and info dumping like i said doesn't really work in this kind of format it's it's clumsy when you're writing you know prose but it's even clumsier when you're when you're trying to do like a tv show or a movie and this problem is unfixable it's just I think some people are going to be able to overlook it, but I can't. Like, this is something that I'm never going to be comfortable with because I need to know what happened and I, and I need to understand why what's, what I'm seeing on screen is justified by what's gone before it. And I don't fucking know what happened in that year. And there's there is so much important stuff that I wish I had seen. I will never be happy about the fact that we didn't get to see the birth of Maggie's baby, especially when they set that up as potentially a problem pregnancy. I mean, Maggie, think about this. Maggie remembers what happened with Lori. Knowing that her pregnancy is now you know, potentially going to be an issue. And they lost their obstetrician. Like, they lost their baby doctor. And they have a doctor, but, like, not the way they did. And this is, this is an issue. And it could have been a really interesting issue for exploring more of Maggie's character. And we just didn't fucking see it. Because they just couldn't be bothered. And I don't like that. I think that's a bad writing's choice. You know, it's, it, I think that there are, there is a tendency, especially among intense fandoms, to equate, I don't like this with this is bad. That's, that's wrong and people shouldn't do that. Sometimes you don't like the way something goes, but it's still not bad. There have been a lot of cases where that's, you know, and on this show that's happened, where I haven't enjoyed the choice that they made. It's not the choice I personally would have made, but I can look at it and I can say, okay, you know, for what this was, for this choice, it was written well. Like, I would not have killed Carl, but I thought they did a good job of writing it. You know, I don't think it was badly written. And I don't think it was, you know, I don't think it was necessarily a bad decision to kill him off. Again, it's not the choice I personally would have made, probably. But it in itself was not like a crippling blow to the show. It, it was okay. It was, you know... I didn't love it, but it was all right. This is a this was a bad choice. I don't like it, and I don't like it because it was bad. Uh, I, I don't like it because I think it makes the overall story weaker because it does not have a very strong foundation in the way that it should. This is this is even more of a problem when you start looking at the dynamic between the communities. The okay, let me let me let me do a big jump sideways to the Force Awakens. <laughs> I like The Force Awakens a lot as a movie. I think in many respects it's not a very good movie. It's very good when it comes down to characters. It does a great job setting up really likable, interesting characters. Um, it, it does a great job kind of maintaining the mood and the spirit of Star Wars. But in terms of its world building, it's pretty shit. There's just a lot of stuff regarding the politics that doesn't make very much sense at all. Uh, there's there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't really when you start picking it apart, especially regarding government and politics. And I mean, I'm, I've I've had some political science training, so this is the kind of thing that bugs me. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And one of the things that's very interesting about the world society after a catastrophic event is watching how people pick up the pieces, and. That's, I mean, that one of the things I absolutely love about um, Timothy Zahn's Thrawn trilogy is how it really goes deep into that, into here is how people set up a government after a, a violent revolution. Because violent revolutions are horribly destructive. You know, they maybe sometimes they're, you know, justified or kind of good. I'm, knowing something about them, I'm actually not a big fan of them. They generally end really badly for everybody involved, except the really cynical people who want to take power, who, you know, they win, but everybody else loses. But it's, it's, it, it is interesting to watch people try to establish a functioning government after they have overthrown the existing one. Now, that's not exactly what happened here, but the government was destroyed because civilization basically collapsed. And we are now seeing not quite a return to like medieval European feudalism, but we are, we are kind of back in a period of no centralized government, small settlements, which all kind of have their own system of government. We're seeing, we're seeing actual kind of governance coming back into being with Hilltop because now they're having elections. And now they're also kind of 
starting to talk about working up a system of laws. You know, Michonne's talking about working up charters and Maggie is instituting capital punishment. So things are actually happening quite quickly, very suddenly. But there was a whole year for this stuff to happen. It is completely unrealistic that that has not happened yet. If, if, I, was, if I was writing the show, like the first couple of months after the war ended, that is when you establish this shit. You know, that is partly because you now have to find a way to live in peace with the people you've allowed to survive who were your enemies. This is where you sit down with them and you say, okay, we are drawing up a peace treaty. You know, we are drawing up something explicit. We're drawing up a kind of a contract. And the thing about contracts is they exist to protect everybody. They, they exist not just to kind of work in one person's favor, but ideally they exist to provide protections for everyone because they make everything very clear. They make everybody's relationships and obligations very clear. And whenever there's a problem, you can refer back to that document that everybody agreed to and say, you know, look, no, this was the agreement we made. And you aren't holding to it and, and you have to. Then there obviously have to be, you know, some kind of sanction for not holding to the agreement, and that's something else you have to come up with ahead of time, because it's probably going to be a problem at some point. But that is, if you're going to win the peace after you win the war, that is 100% necessary, and you must do it as quickly as possible. Because if you don't, things tend to fall apart. And, and things tend to get bad. And that's kind of what we're seeing happening now. And I'm, I'm watching this and I'm so fucking frustrated because, you know, Michonne and, and Rick are in bed and Michonne's like, we should draw up some kind of, you know, something explicit about here's how we all treat each other and here's what happened if you don't. And I'm like, fucking hell, this should have been like first thing on the priority list after you ended the war. Like this should have been something you did within two weeks maximum. This should have been something you did within two weeks. You call a conclave of all of the leaders of the communities, you have kind of a constitutional convention, and you draw up a charter or something like that. And everybody's relationship is made explicit. And here is how we choose who's in charge. And here is how we arrange things like trade. And here is how we arrange, you know, conflicts. And here's how we deal with crime. Like, you need to, you need to have this stuff clear. This thing, these things need to be established, and it is very frustrating to me and also completely unrealistic that they would not have established this within the first six months. They, they really should have done it before then, because I really think it's unrealistic that all of these communities would be living in, in only being experiencing real friction now and would have been living harmoniously for a year without doing this. It's just crazy. And really stupid. And I kind of hate it. It's just, it's it's a big, big plot hole that I'm having a very hard time overlooking. And much like with a lot of stuff in The Force Awakens, I think I'm just going to have to hand wave it and try and, and, and live with it. Because, again, I think that it is now an unfixable problem. It's baked in. They're, they can't, they can't retcon this. It just, it is what it is. And it's bullshit. But it is. And th this is where I, I'm doing something that frustrates me sometimes about this fandom where we talk about these people and the choices they make as if they're real. And then we get mad at them as if they're real people making real choices. They're not. These are choices the writers have made. So my issue is with the writers. But I mean, I, I want to talk about Rick for a second because Rick is a shitty ass leader. And this really, you know, displays how. Rick is kind of a big picture person. Rick's like, you know, we're all going to live in peace and we're all going to trust each other. And clearly, you know, he's sort of kind of the leader of all of these communities in the sense that he's he seems to be kind of sort of the one determining what's happening, but it's not very clear how he's doing this. And, and Rick is very quick in peacetime to abdicate responsibility without abdicating responsibility. Like he'll, he'll kind of abdicate and but not really he won't really let go like he the closest he came to doing that was uh, at the very beginning of season four and then that went to hell and then he kind of he stopped like he's he's kind of like the the roman farmer who you know in time of war is you know elected to lead the whole country and then he you know leads the country and they and the, they win the war and then he goes back to his field except rick won't fully go back to the field rick won't He'll be like, okay, I'm done, you know, no more war, I'm not the commander anymore, but he won't completely, he won't define his responsibilities. This is, again, one of the problems with not dealing with this in the first couple of weeks. 
what the fuck is Rick? Is he or isn't he the leader? Who is leading? Who is in charge here? Who, who decides whether or not Daryl stays at Sanctuary? Rick is asking Daryl to stay at Sanctuary, but Daryl seems like he's asking Rick permission to not be at Sanctuary anymore. And I think that partly that's Daryl, and Daryl is just asking, still asking Rick's permission to do fucking everything, because that's Daryl and Rick's dynamic. But is Rick in charge or isn't he? You know, if, if he's not Daryl's boss, Daryl doesn't need to ask for that. Daryl can go to somebody else and say, I, you know what, you're in charge, uh, I'm out. Or he can go to Eugene and be like, yeah, I'm sorry, this is your problem now, I gotta go. And it's just, it's fucking stupid. It's really fucking stupid. The more I'm talking about this, you guys, the angrier it's making me, because I feel like I am one of the few people who notice this is a big problem. A, a few of you have talked to me about it on Tumblr, so I'm, I don't think I am, but I don't recall seeing any, any critic being like, okay, this is, no, this is a big weakness. This is actually making this foundation very weak, and it's bad writing. But it, it is. This, and this is something that Rick does consistently. Like, I get the sense that the council, uh, at, you know, at the beginning of season four at the prison, he did not, he was not involved in, in getting that together. Like, it's not clear, but I don't think that it's in Rick's nature. Rick is not an organizer. I don't think it's in his nature to do that. So he probably did not set that up and he probably not did not have a hand in deciding who was going to be on it, except he probably just said, hi, I'm not it. Leave me out of it. Rick is bad at organizing. Um, Negan, I fucking don't like Negan, but one thing I will say for Negan is he was a good leader. Now, don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying he was a good guy. He was a horrible dictator and he did awful things. And, you know, what he did ultimately was not sustainable. Um, you know, he, he, he kind of, his whole thing kind of collapsed from within because it had you know, deep structural weaknesses, and he wasn't well equipped for actual, you know, organized, sustained resistance. But he did understand, and he understood very piercingly, and very, you know, violently, that it, you need to, things need to be clear. Everybody's responsibilities need to be clear, everybody's jobs need to be clear, obligations need to be clear, who is in charge and of what needs to be clear, and he, he got that. He got that. That there, ne there needed to be clarity and relationships needed to be well-defined. And there needed to be very obvious, very intensely in in enforced penalties for when you step out of line. Negan knew that. And Negan was correct that you need some form of that if you're going to have a sustainable society. Rick does not fucking know that. I, I don't know if he's scared of it after seeing what Negan did with it, but also I just think that that's not in Rick's nature because Rick's a bad leader. And you really, really see that here. Rick is just, Rick is shitty at this. Daryl is clearly more pragmatic and Maggie is more pragmatic and Michonne, I think, is more pragmatic because she's the one who's thinking of how maybe we actually should define all of our relationships in a way that's really clear that we all agree to. It, it yeah. Rick is, Rick does not appear to have thought of any of this. Rick is just kind of drifting around of this kind of, you know, pie in the sky, we'll all get along and it'll all be great and we'll all help each other. And it's like, Rick, that is not how things work. That is not how human societies work. It's not like a Hobbesian war of all against all, but this stuff has got to be clear, man. Yeah, just, I'm super frustrated by this. It's, it's interesting because, I mean, we don't, Daryl is going to become a more central character after Rick is gone. Him being, quote-unquote, the lead character seems to be making people think that he will be a leader. That may be true, that may not be true. It's stupid to assume that. Daryl is not a leader character. I, I agree that that's not... If he was going to be one, he would be a very reluctant one. He uh, appears to be kind of filling that place at the sanctuary, but he is not comfortable with it at all. But Daryl is more pragmatic. Daryl does have a better sense of here is what's working and here's not. And you see that so much because he says to Rick, and how in a year Rick has not figured this out, I do not understand. And how in a year nobody's come to Rick and said, this is unacceptable and we need to change it. I don't understand. Why is Sanctuary still there? 
Just why? What is it good for? It is dead weight. It always was dead weight. The only way it survived was that Negan was exacting taxes, basically, from everybody. It was Negan was this feudal lord, and he was he was exacting tribute. And that was the only way it was able to sustain itself. And without all of that tribute, I mean, they still, they're still getting tribute. It's just voluntary, and it's the only way they're surviving. It's a factory. Fuck knows what's in the soil out there. Nothing is growing. And if nothing's growing, then really the only thing they're producing is fuel. And that's not gonna sustain your people. It's an important resource, and everybody needs it, but it's fucking bullshit. And the fact that they have not figured that out within a year, that they need to dismantle this community and integrate all the people into other communities, which will be hard, but it can and must be done. The fact that they are still trying to keep Sanctuary going after a year is is idiotic. It's just absolutely idiotic. And it is so idiotic that I have a hard time believing that even these people who make bad choices most of the time would be making this choice. I, have, I find it very hard to believe that anybody in Sanctuary, that, that nobody in Sanctuary would have spoken up and said, this is not working and we need to leave. I think that it would make sense for there to be an outpost, like a small settlement with maybe people who, who circulate in and out in shifts to do things like, you know, put together fuel and, and, and there's got to be other stuff in Sanctuary that's useful. But having a, a full-size community out there, it's asinine. It's wildly impractical. There's absolutely no reason for that to be there. And like, I feel like the only reason why it's really there is to set up this kind of artificial conflict that we're, you know, we're kind of like, you know, people want Negan to come back. And you could do that without trying to keep Sanctuary going. It's just... And if there was a reason to do it, like maybe there is a reason. Say, say there's a lot of discomfort with the rest of the communities about integrating saviors. Say the saviors don't really want to be integrated. Say, you know, they, they against, you know, their own interests, they really want to maintain their own settlement. And they, and they, there, and, but there's also some discomfort clearly about accepting stuff from other communities. And that actually could be interesting. And you could do something with that. The problem is that with the time jump, if that's going on, we didn't get to see any of it. So we just kind of have to infer whether or not it's there. And maybe they'll go into it in more detail in the upcoming episodes, but I don't fucking know. And I kind of think probably not, knowing how this show works. There is just so much world building here that they have made it impossible to do. They have made it impossible to go into. And it does not, without without the justification that you could do in a year's time, it, it's just, it's not fucking there and it doesn't work. And there's just a lot of stuff that I'm going to have to ignore. And that pisses me off so much, not least because all the stuff that they haven't done, all the stuff that they're neglecting, because again, they just kind of couldn't be bothered to do it, is interesting stuff and important stuff, and stuff that I wanted to see them deal with. But I guess, you know, because it's not running around and shooting, we're not going to do it. I I don't fucking know, you guys. It's really frustrating to me. In, in, in some respects, this episode actually made me angrier than, than um, a lot of All Out War did. Because All Out War, a lot of the plot was poorly executed, and there were a lot of choices I would not have made, but they did make sense. Like they, I, I looked at it and I saw the logic. This is just, this is just broken beyond repair. And it doesn't mean that the season is going to be bad, but it does mean that while there are going to be some good character moments and there was a lot of stuff regarding characters here that I liked, the, the world building itself is bad. The context is bad. And, and, and that means that everything that happens after it regarding conflict between the communities is also going to be poorly justified because the very setup was not well justified. I mean, this this is... These writers are too good to be making this mistake. Like, this is... I, 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 just, finished, I just finished writing a book, and I'm working through editing it right now, and I'm actually not very good at world building, believe it or not. It's especially political world building. Like, I, I think I'm pretty good at watching or reading something and picking out the reasons and the ways in which it doesn't work. But I'm not so good at coming up with, you know, I'm not, I'm not Patrick Rothfuss. Like I'm, I'm not so good at, or, or God save me, Brandon Sanderson. Like I'm not somebody who can come up with these really intricate political systems and, 
and magic systems. And by the way, if you want to see a couple of examples of guys who do this incredibly well, well, first, N.K. Jemison does it amazingly, although I have not read all of the Broken Earth series. Uh, Max Gladstone's uh, craft sequence, he does politics and, and, you know, relationships between different communities fantastically well. And then Seth Dickinson, um, the traitor bar cormorant and the monster bar cormorant, it, his, he, he does politics in a way that just makes me, you know, green with envy. Um, and yes, both of these guys are also my friends. Just, <laughs> just um, you know, full disclosure. But those are, those are good examples of this being done really well and being done really elegantly in a way that does not regard, that does not involve info dumping. And regarding this show, it's just, it's clumsy and broken. And having seen what it looks like when it's done well, it is painful to me to see what it looks like when it's done badly. I, I'm sorry, I'll shut up about this, guys, but it's just, it's really pissing me off. And again, you know, there's just not a whole lot that could be done about it. It's just kind of what it is. Uh, and so much of it could have been ignored if they hadn't done the stupid time jump. You know, so much of it we could have just... The, this did not have to be a problem the way it is. You could have even just cut it in half. Do like, do like five months do like a five month time jump. You still get to do a time jump. You still get to kind of reset things. We still get to see the birth of Maggie's baby. We get to get a sense of, you know, a kind of a new beginning, but, but there isn't quite so much damage done to the narrative and to the world. And that damage is done and it's not reparable. Yeah. So, I mean, if I had to rate this episode from one to 10, I think I would put it at like a solid five. And... In terms of how much I enjoyed it, I think it would be kind of like more like a, a six and a half, a seven, but it gets knocked down to a five or maybe even a four and a half, maybe even a four because of how I cannot ignore how broken it is. Yeah, it's just bad. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. This is like mostly rant. I don't know. Maybe some of you will actually like that. And it's, yeah. Uh, again, I'm, I'm, I am cautiously optimistic about the rest of the season. We'll see how it ends up working. Something that The Last Jedi did was it kind of moved the story beyond The Force Awakens in a way that made it possible for me to ignore the significant problems with the world building in The Force Awakens. They didn't completely pave it over, didn't completely get rid of it, but it kind of made it, because it was so intensely character-focused, it made it more of a non-issue. They may manage to do that here. But given the plot that it looks like they're setting up, I kind of feel like they're not gonna. That's gonna be a problem for me. But I'm willing to give it a chance. Like I'm, I'm, I'm very willing to give it a shot. It's, I still think it's a good show, and I still think it's got some strong writing. And if nothing else, like I really want to know what's gonna happen to these characters. Like I still care about that. I can't quit this show because I still care about these characters a lot. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, it's honestly, it's like the only TV show I watch anymore. I, it's, I, I don't have a Netflix subscription anymore. And there is just something about like following a dramatic show that I just find emotionally very tiring right now. It's part of the reason why I don't really listen to audio drama podcasts at the moment, which is shitty because I actually do an audio drama podcast. But it, I mean, it's the same reason I don't read like novels very much right now. I just, it's, it's emotionally very taxing. Most of the time, I don't know, I just watch YouTube. I'm, I'm, I'm bad. So yeah, this is like the only show I watch regularly anymore. So I hope it, you know, is good this season. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, I, I, the promo for next, next uh, episode looked cool. And yeah, there's, I'm, I'm willing to give it a chance, but there are, there are problems, and unfortunately, I saw these problems coming. Like, I don't want to be like, I saw these problems coming. I was right. I didn't want to be fucking right about this. But I, the second I found out how long the time jump was going to be, I was like, this is going to be an issue. And they're not going to handle it well. And I was right. They didn't. And it's broken. The show's broken. Good job, guys. You broke the show. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna stop. I, I got other stuff I gotta do. I gotta edit this, I gotta get it posted, and I got other stuff I gotta do. I, I know this was a big ramble with lots and lots of digressions. It always kind of is. That's why, you know, my 
uh, old from from the first season recaps called the rambling dead it's just kind of my mo i hope you liked it i hope you you know want me to keep doing these things let me know uh let me know you know if, if i'm doing stuff you'd like me to do less of let me know if there's stuff i'm not doing that you'd like me to start doing uh, yeah I, I i am doing this partly because i think that you guys enjoy listening to it and i want to make an enjoyable experience for all of us so let me know what you think yeah, I'll be back next week, uh, Monday or Tuesday, depending on when I'm able to get these things up. And do look for more episodes of just kind of normal keep singing the greetings and stuff. Look for the Rambling Dead to continue again. Uh, after after the first week in November, things should be a little easier, especially once I'm done editing this novel, too. That, that should be good. Hopefully I won't jump right into a big project after that, but we'll see. Actually, no, I just realized I got another big thing coming up. For which I actually will be paid. Alright, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm just really rambling now about shit you don't care about. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Uh, this is fun. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. I appreciate your support. And uh, I'll hopefully speak to you soon. Bye.